The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Totally Useless Information Podcast with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And today on the show, we will cover these topics. Sex. History. We'll open up the mailbag. We'll cover some sports. And don't forget inventions. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. The Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. You know, some people say they love to hear the sounds of our voice. Who? It makes them hot and bothered. Bow, chicka, bow, wow. Wow, wow. Oh, chicka, yeah. Bow, wow. Oh, yeah. All about sex. Yes, both <laughs> those people send us an email and say, you know, you guys sound really, really hot. We don't know what you look like. Well, you don't want to know. But these people, um, the lawyers have told us, we got to let you know about this. The following segment of the Totally Useless Information Podcast Maybe too sultry and too sexy for some listeners. <laughs> so we all know during conception, the sperm fertilizes the egg, right? Remember that from um, remember that from uh, our science class, from our hygiene class in, in school. Damn, I, I I think I missed that one. Uh, Yes, you've been practicing ever since. Most of us imagine conception as a race to the egg where the fastest sperm wins and gets to pass on to its genes to the baby-to-be. But this is one of those sex facts you should forget, says Jill McDevitt, a human sexuality expert. The narrative is biased with our cultural lens about men being competitive, using words like drilling and burrowing and penetrating the egg, while the egg sits around passively Eggs have sophisticated biological mechanisms that actively choose which sperm they allow in, and it isn't always the first one to arrive. So the egg chooses which sperm it wants to let in. Wow. I never, never knew that. That's pretty cool. It just sits there waiting for the whole group to come. It's like, mm, nope, not maybe you. you. Not maybe you. you. Nope, keep going. Keep, keep the line moving. Keep it going. Oh, you. Come oh, on in. Oh, you. Come on in. <laughs> ladies, ladies, look out for old men. 75% of 70-year-old men can impregnate you. They did a study, and 75% of 70-year-old men had that kind of sperm that the egg would say, come on in. <laughs> There is also a major spike in sexually transmitted diseases in men over 75. <laughs> okay. I want to know what the hell they eat. Yes. You know. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, no. <laughs> As we just learned in the previous fact I just gave, so it's not usually the fastest sperm. So even the 70-year-olds, it probably goes up to the egg in a walker. A little, yeah, little. 
<laughs> tricks them, gets in the door because they feel bad and they hold the door open for the Walker guy. That's Listen, right, yeah. Those dirty old bastards, I just went out and bought the entire supermarket of Insure out. <laughs> I'm drinking that right now. That's right. You're, you're ensuring that you get, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. By the way, uh, this is also, you know what, I'm going to do this right off the bat. I'm, I'm not going to wait until after the fact. I'm going to give you the useful information jingle. Here's why. For those of you who don't know, we play that when we give you useful information. It's rare, but I play that off the top. Here's why. So the sex toys that you are using are not regulated. What? Yes, I know you're shocked. Your whole world just shook. <laughs> you would think that something that's designed to be put in in such intimate places would have federal or business yeah. oversight to ensure your safety and quality standards but sex toys are not considered medical devices and as such are completely unregulated. Jessica what? Gordon, founder and managing partner of the Intimate Boutique, says there are items on the market today made from materials that are prohibited from use in children's toys. Mm -hmm. Be very wary of the secondary market or third-party sellers, resellers, buy only from trusted stores that are committed to selling only body-safe and non-toxic sex toys. So please. Well, that makes kind of sense, Nick. What, what can I say? Please be careful. Do not put those places in such intimate areas. Make sure it's from a record. Well, I, I, now, now you'd have to, you got to find these things out before you, you know, entrez-vous. <laughs> That's French, and I hate them. Okay, so men work and work and work. We work so hard to satisfy our ladies. We feel defeated if the woman doesn't experience the pleasure of orgasm. So we work so hard. Well, I got news for you, females. Orgasms are not about pleasure. Orgasms are the female's body's way of moving sperm to the cervix and the pulsating motion in helps to ensure the sperm reaches its goal and you get impregnated. So really, honestly, guys, the whole idea of the orgasm in women is not about pleasure. It's a function to impregnate them. So if you want to help not ensure that they get impregnated, screw them, so to speak, <laughs> and don't let them orgasm. <laughs> Stop right there. Um, a little sense of humor is the best sex attribute. <clears throat> So if your significant other laughs at you in bed, it's a good thing. I was going to say, my wife's having a ball. <laughs> so having a sense of humor during sex is quite helpful. So falling off the bed, belching, losing a contact, farting during sex, yeah. it happens, right? Yeah. And making a wide variety of bizarre noises. Bodies are weird, as we know, so don't take yourself too seriously. During the act, while sex should be passionate, it should also be fun, and don't be afraid to smile and even laugh during sex. No problem in our department. I don't know, Nick. I'll be honest. I mean, you go out with a girl, and you're having sex for the first time, and you drop your contact, fall off the bed, fart, and maybe possibly shat yourself. I mean, you know, it's not going to go well. I don't think you're getting a text or a call back. You're just not. It's like this guy flipped off the bed. He did a double gainer, and then he farted. 
So um, please be careful. If you're falling off the bed, <laughs> it happens. Just be comfortable. And you know what? It's okay to have some fun during sex. It's okay. <laughs> you, said, you said fun, not like gymnastics. Okay. Straight men comprise 50% of watching transgender porn films online. So 50% of people watching transgender porn films, this study says 50% were straight men. I say that 100% after seeing it and then actually looking and going, what the hell is going on there? I'd say that 100% said, what the hell is that? And turned it off. (laughs) And they also, (laughs) most of the straight guys that were watching that were looking going, where's the donkey? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So if you'd like to get a hold of us and uh, file your complaints, it's tuipodcast at outlook.com. Believe me, we're not going to judge you folks if you fall off the bed and fart yourself. (laughs) (laughs) That's all part of your history. This is one of those things in history that makes me mad. There were 600 plots against the life of Fidel Castro. There were political opponents that wanted him dead. The mob wanted him dead. Even the U.S. government wanted him dead. They tried to poison his food and even tried an exploding cigar. They tried to poison his diving suit when he went swimming uh, off the coast, okay? Didn't these assassins or countries ever watch Batman where they come up with these crazy things and then Batman gets out and ends up defeating the foe? What what the hell are they thinking? Why didn't they just get a gun, shoot him, cap his ass? (laughs) Did they not hear of a gun? You know, there's there's 85 people dying in the streets of Chicago every day, and they can't get Fidel Castro. I mean, what the hell is going on? A jockey died during a horse race. What? The Grim Reaper paid a visit at Belmont Park. But guess what? He won the race anyway. Oh, no. <laughs> he was dead. Frank Hayes, the writer of Sweet Kiss of Death, I guess, Won the race by a length and a half, in fact. About a hundred yards after the finish line, he swayed in the saddle and fell headlong onto the turf. He was dead on arrival. He suffered a heart attack, but he won the race. After that, jockeys got less money because they were like, what the hell we need these guys for? We could throw some cadavers up there in the race. <laughs> I found that interesting that the name of the horse, he was the jockey, but it was the Sweet Kiss. Sweet Kiss of Death. Oh, wow. The only president to not live in the White House was George Washington. Only one, George Washington, because the White House was under construction while he was president. John Adams, second president, was the first and um, to live in the White House. And every president since has lived in the White House. I don't know if you could count Bill Clinton. He slept out a lot, I guess. <laughs> he sleep, like did his little sleepovers at an intern's house. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, 
a novel about a seemingly unsinkable ship that was hit by an iceberg was published in 1898. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I know that story, an unsinkable ship that's hit by an iceberg and it, and it sunk. It was published in 1898, this novel was. The name of the book was The Wreck of the Titan or Futility. 14 mm. years before the Titanic sunk. Wow. Some eerie similarities between the book and the actual real-life events. Both ships suffered from an, an, an eventually tragic shortage of lifeboats, and the doomed ship in the book was called Titan. So it was the wreck of the Titan or futility. 14 years before the Titanic sunk. Ooh. That is wild. That's scary. That's really, like, weird, eerie stuff. When I say cowboys, what do you think? Boots, belt buckles, big Stetson cowboy hats. Well, guess what, folks? You've been duped again because that's a Hollywood invention. Okay? Most cowboys of the period wore what looked like English bowler hats. The rounded top English bowler hat. So cowboys did not wear the 10-gallon Stetson Texas hat and the whole bit. That came later on for people that were working, rounding up cows and stuff. But Hollywood thought that was better looking hat to put on a, you know, rough and tumble cowboy, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah, it is. So you said a 10-gallon hat. Can you actually put 10 gallons of stuff in the 10-gallon hat? I, I don't know. But we should also ask people that enjoy bowling whether or not they bring one of those with them as well. <laughs> a bowler hat. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, the 10-gallon hat, this is an aside, a 10-gallon sombrero was a hat with a large enough crown that it, it can hold 10 hat bands. But American cowboys have anglicized the word gallon and started referring to their own sombrero-inspired headgear as 10-gallon hats. So it was large enough to hold 10 hat bands. You just had that there, Nick? You just had that? I ask you what a cowboy looks like. You're sitting there like, duh. And then you come up with this amazing freaking stat. <laughs> you, we all know, and for those of you in our audience who don't know, that Roy absolutely loves, adores, cherishes, honors the French. Oh, yes. In fact... When he has an order of French fries, he stares at it for the longest time with this, this mm -hmm. gaze in his eyes. The Eiffel Tower was inaugurated in 1889 for the World's Fair. It is the same year that Van Gogh painted Starry Night, 1889. 1889. I read, something, I read something about the, the French wanted to disassemble the Eiffel Tower and move it to the United States during World War II so it didn't get destroyed or something like that. I read something like that. and I'll find out for everybody now that I teased them with it. So in 1889, they inaugurated it? They inaugurated it. It was the very same year that Van Gogh painted Starry Night. It was a good sport. Sports. Play ball. Totally Useless Information Podcast. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And we know that you are a NASCAR fan because you've mentioned NASCAR in many episodes. Mm -hmm. NASCAR and nitrogen 
go together. NASCAR teams use nitrogen because it allows them more accurately predict tire pressure fluctuation because nitrogen fluctuates with temperature change, but it does so less than water when water vapor is present. So nitrogen is the key in those high-speed, high-temperature tires. You know, you can get nitrogen put in your regular tires at like a car dealership. Yeah, actually, um, in the vehicle that I drive, I have um, nitrogen in it, and it's been pretty steady all the way through. It's funny, too, because it could regulate the air pressure, kind of like when Nick fell out of the bed during sex and he farted. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry that I I had to bring that up again. (laughs) Woo. Okay. According to Major League Baseball, a game will last, this is the rule, A game will last nine innings or two and one-half hours, whichever comes first. Did you know that? No. So according to the rule book, if it goes over two and a half hours, you know, so basically, whichever comes first, they say. This, I think, saved lives because anyone that has to watch a three-hour baseball game would probably be calling the suicide hotline because I find baseball after the first eight minutes to be boring as hell. Three hours would just kill me. Sorry, people that love baseball. You're going to have to hang I'm with one, the French. I'm, uh, <laughs> yes, hang, hang with the painting like Van Gogh. Um, I, I am a, a huge baseball fan. I'm sure that's an outdated rule in the book. They must have updated that rule because clearly mm-hmm. baseball games are longer than two and a half hours. Yeah, but this is what the rule book says. What the hell? You guys are violating your own rules. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the New York Yankees. The practice of identifying baseball players by number came courtesy of the New York Yankees in 1929. The, the numbers on their jerseys corresponded to the player's position in the batting order. So, for example, Babe Ruth War number three. Why? Because he batted third. And Lou Gehrig wore number four because he batted fourth. So it was the New York Yankees who came up with this numbers scheme in 1929. Yeah, leave it to New York to come up with some illegal numbers racket. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't illegal. But here's another interesting fact about the New York Yankees. Now, if you notice, most of the baseball teams have their names on their backs. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are one of the rare teams that do not have the names of the players on the backs. College football, NCAA re- regulations required that all players would study during halftime. So NCAA rules, original rules, said that during halftime, all the player, college players had to break out the books and study during halftime. That was up until 1925. Because I guess they finally figured out that the players don't know how to read. (laughs) But they can tell time because they knew when it was time to go back. A baseball has exactly 108 stitches. A cricket ball has between 65 and 70 stitches. Unless, of course, you get hit with one of these cricket balls and then you need more stitches in your set of balls a baseball again 108 stitches cricket ball 65 to 70 speaking of balls and stitches i had a hernia operation when i was 18 (laughs) (laughs) in ancient greece in ancient greece they had the olympics you know and wrestling was one of the main things but in ancient times in greece 
During the Olympics, it was done nude. The competitors were in the nude, and it did not end. The match did not end until one of the competitors actually got aroused. This was one of the rules. Okay, so the match kept going until one of them displayed, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But anyway, so now after saying that, the Greeks jump in front of the French as being one of my most hated. <laughs> and that's where the sport of pole vaulting began. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you'd like to get a hold of us on the Totally Useless Information Podcast, it's really easy. TUI Podcast at Outlook.com, like these fine people did. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Well, yep. I'm going to open it up. Okay. Ah, here it is. <laughs> okay. Harold. Harold from Wesley Chapel, Florida. Harold, I want you to know I bought a Mazda from Wesley Chapel a long time ago. Uh, Harold says, and he speaks, he goes on and on, but one of the things I found interesting is he said, you guys being friends, and, and it says, being you guys are friends and talk to each other on the show for a long time, do you talk much to each other after the show? I, Harold must think this is like marriage. <laughs> I've heard that Laurel and Hardy didn't speak to each other much after they, they did their shtick. Uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin barely spoke to each other. They did their show, and then that was the end of it, or their movies. But, folks, I want you to know, Nick and I probably speak four to five times, Nick, a week. Easily, at least, yes. Okay, at least. One of the reasons is we have no other friends. <laughs> and basically our wives are so sick of hearing us that they're like great i'm glad you have nick <laughs> there you go well we, we do not only do we um convene here on the podcast and the totally useless What's information in oh, sorry bag? shut up i'm not done talking yet <laughs> son of a bitch snuck wow. up on you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what happens is um, we not only talk here on the podcast and before and, and after. Now, we don't tell each other what facts we're going to present. As everyone knows, that's how we do the podcast. But we're also on every week on Sirius Satellite Radio, Sirius, Sirius XM Channel 167, on Canada Talks program hosted by Jeff Samet called Canada Now. And what we do is we do an offshoot of what we do here. Here we do totally useless information. But on that show, because it's called Canada Talks, you guessed it, we do useless Canadian facts. Stuff, so yeah. we get a chance to perform. Not only here, we perform on satellite radio and we're also guests on other podcasts as well. So oh, God, we're busy yes. all week long. We're yeah, busy all the time. We're on a lot of other people's podcasts. We're on uh, Eat This with Leanne, which is a great show. We've been on that. So, so anyway, Harold, yes, me and Nick do talk. We do enjoy talking to each other or at least at each other sometimes. And uh, we do enjoy it. And uh, we're done talking to you, Harold. <laughs> Hillary from Yorktown Heights, New York, writes, Love your show. You guys crack me up. I wanted to ask you if you knew where the piggy bank came from. Ever since my kids were little, we would put loose coins and birthday money into their piggy bank. Thanks and keep up a great show. 
Well, thank you, Hillary, from Yorktown Heights. The piggy bank originated in the Middle Ages when pots and other containers, including those used to hold money, were usually forged from an orange-colored clay called pig, P-Y-G-E. Over time, the money jars became known as pig pots. Then the English language evolved that pig got pronounced as P-I-G, creating a fun play on words. So in the 19th century, people began requesting the English potters to make money jars into pig shapes. Wow. And thus, the modern piggy bank was born. You know what? I mean, again, like I always say, there's a couple of things that people are going to take from our show. In this particular show, the piggy bank thing and Nick falling off the bed and farting. <laughs> so send along your email once again, tuipodcast at outlook.com. What's in the mail? Did you invent that uh, that whole segment, Nick? No, but you you invented the jingle, and we invented this. Innovation. Ideas. The Totally Useless Information Podcast presents inventions the exploding rocket bike was invented before elon musk <laughs> doesn't sound good nick no, don't go there <laughs> there was a german engineer richter rackentrod Rackend- in 1931 built a rocket bike that had 12 rockets mounted on the back wheel giving it a whole lot of power but as the engineer explained, this allowed him to reach a speed of 90 kilometers per hour for exploded and threw him off the bike. <laughs> but don't worry, he's only suffered a few scrapes. Suffice to say that this invention died on that day. He didn't, but he got thrown off the bike after it exploded. Wow. Nick exploded and fell off the bed. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just can't get it out of my head. You should see my wife's face when that happened. <laughs> she, she stayed with you because she was like, I got to marry this guy. This guy's great. <laughs> Alfred Nobel guy. was um, an inventor. Okay, uh-huh. he invented dynamite, one of the most important things of, of, of the century was dynamite back then because it was able to clear mountains and so on and one morning, he was, became very rich. He was reading a um, newspaper, and he saw his name mistakenly in the obituary. And they actually thought that Alfred Nobel had died. And they, they wrote the headline was, The Angel of Death Dies. Because a lot of people would get blown up trying to use dynamite. It was dangerous. But so they called him the angel of death. And he was so taken back by that and upset by the way people saw him that he said, you know what? I'm going to take a lot of my money and I'm going to start this thing called the Nobel Peace Prize. And I'm going to give this out to people that do peaceful things instead of blowing up like me. <laughs> so, And of course, he dies and everybody says what a great guy he was. The foghorn. That was... <laughs> This was the first steam foghorn ever constructed or operated in the world. It was in 1854. Robert Follis of St. John, New Brunswick, here in Canada, first advocated the use of a steam horn or whistle to give warning to vessels in foggy weather. An apparatus devised by him was installed on the Partridge Island in 1859. So in 1854, 
Robert Follis of St. John, New Brunswick came up with the, at that time, the steam foghorn. Here's a cool one that I saw that I had to tell people about. Inventor Samuel Morse, the inventor of Morse code. Again, a guy that became very rich off of his one big invention. Later on in life, they, you know, he was a popular guy. Everybody knew him. They said, you should run for office. And he said, you know what? I am going to run for office. But he lost his bid for the New York City mayor. Uh, his slogan was, no immigrants, no Catholics. Vote for Samuel Morse. Okay. This is why nowadays politicians hire media consultants. <laughs> okay. No immigrants, no Catholic. Not a good slogan, Samuel. Okay. No. Like, you know, some others, you know, like, vote for me. I hate everyone. That would have been a same thing. <laughs> Just not good. Wow. Yeah. You know, he, he should have uh, sent out that message via Morse code. People couldn't understand what the hell he was talking about. So uh, we go to the supermarket. We buy a dozen eggs, right? Yes. And how are the eggs stored in an egg carton? Yes. So I was at the supermarket the other day. I and validated had me everything you just said. <laughs> but go ahead. It needs validation, just like parking. Um, <laughs> so because you know me, I just walk around and I look for different things to talk about here on the show. And I thought, well, where did the egg carton come from? Someone had to invent it. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, in 1911, a newspaper editor, Joseph Coyle of British Columbia here in Canada, Another Canadian invention. This is just a coincidence. I didn't just pick Canadian inventions. So the this Canadian, Joseph Coyle, invented the egg carton to solve a dispute between a local farmer and a hotel owner in British Columbia over the farmer's eggs often being delivered broken. These cartons have the dimple form in which each dimple accommodates an individual egg and isolates that egg from other eggs in the adjacent dimple. So it protects the eggs from each other, and this way you get your eggs in one piece. Cool. See, now that was a good invention because other than that, what would you have done? Put them in a bag? <laughs> not a good idea. Oh, it's not, but I think that's what they try to do. And then when next thing you know... Yeah, and they turned uh, the around world. probably and they were like, I went, uh, honey, I bought a dozen... Well, I bought one egg. <laughs> Listen, we all know Thomas the Thief Edison, right? And it's so funny because after I found this fact out, I was watching television. The guy came on and said some 85% of Thomas Edison's inventions were stolen. 85%. That is really upsetting. But Thomas Edison had 1,200 patents. So do the math. <laughs> A thousand of them were stolen. Most um, were stolen from talented people who never got paid. He never paid them, gave them anything. Well, Yoshiri Nakamatsu, because, of course, when we say a name, we have to throw the dialect in, you know, like, we have to say Yoshiri Nakamatsu, okay? He has 3,377 patents. I don't know if he stole them, but some of them are like a better toilet seat cover, musical golf putter. We all need that, you know, to tune into the show, the podcast, while you're, you know, knocking off one on the eighth hole. So, and the original floppy disk, this guy invented, so apparently. So, Thomas Edison the third, Thomas Edison's great-grandson, 
patented the name Yushuri Nakamatsu, then said, ha ha. <laughs> nah, he didn't do that. I just thought that would have no. been really ironically funny. Even his grandson... <laughs> <laughs> Even his grandson stole his grandfather's name. 3,377 patents. God bless you, Yushuri Nakamatu. Nakamatu. <laughs> well, guess what? No. It's that time. Yeah, it is. I know. I know. We have to like pull you away from the podcast. But that is all the time we have for this week's episode. We will scour the internet far and wide yes, we do. for more useless information for you next week so in the meantime you tell a friend about the trend don't forget share this on facebook with all your friends hit the subscribe buttons and the share buttons and and by the way again we're on the smart speakers google alexa just ask for totally useless information podcast you could say the the newest show of totally useless information podcast and that will come right up on your smart speaker in the meantime Tell a friend about the trend. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.